This is the fundamental ultimate fact of everything that we believe. It's the one that moves space and time and creation and our salvation is what takes Christ and motivates him to a cross, knowing how, how scary and awful it's going to be. Love. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. John 17, 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So the cosmos may believe you sent me. The glory you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So the cosmos will know you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I also desire for those you gave me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are, we're kind of winding down here. We're, we're here in uh, John 17, and uh, I hope that your journey together through this text has been fruitful. Yeah, one of the one of the handles that I used for overview for this entire this entire time in 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 Christ's words. Christ Christ has been talking now. There's some conversation back and forth, but he's been talking almost nonstop now since the uh, the end of chapter 13. And so, and this is a, dis a discourse happening uh, just on the eve of his crucifixion, and. And he's just broken. He just he just celebrated uh, the first communion with them, and uh, John records something that the other the other the other disciples don't talk about, and that's this long conversation that he had with them, where he plumbed and the and Christ just seemed to open up the eternal playbook of God. It's gonna anyway. It's 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 what we've been. I've been using the word cave, this expression "cave of wonders" from the from the movie Aladdin. Where uh, in the beginning, um, Aladdin is tested; his character is tested by a cave of treasures, and in those, and, and and there are treasures everywhere. And as he goes through the cave of treasures, he has to go for one treasure, only one. And we've been we've been letting that kind of guide us because there's treasures here, everywhere, and and treasures of uh, that Christ talks about peace, he talks about joy, he talks about love. And these are treasure. These are the things that we value more than anything else. If we were going to have things, if the world was going to treasure anything, these would be the pearls beyond price to find love, to find unity, to find peace. 
And many people have tried to plunder Christianity and Christ's words for those very things. You may be listening today, hoping for love, joy, and peace, for example. But, but, but all that aside, that, that's actually, it's actually a test still, just like it was for Aladdin in the story. Because you have to go by all those precious things. You have to pass by them. Aladdin had to pass by them to get the one thing he needed, the one thing that was the most valuable in the cave of wonders. And of course, that's the lamp. Because the lamp gives you the genie. And the genie is the ticket to everything, right? You know, in other words, why, why would you want a cave of riches when, oh, when if you get the genie, you can have free caves of riches. You know, you can multiply them. And it's a much greater gift. But the whole idea is the test of character. Can you bypass all the most beautiful things you want for the one thing, the one pearl of great price above all others? Well, the reason this has been such a living metaphor is because that for us is, is, pardon me, is Jesus. That is Christ. And, and what Christ is inviting, he's inviting his entire pathways describing of faith and life and joy by the Holy Spirit in Jesus. And I mean, it's mystical and magical and beautiful. And he has been telling us again and again, come to me, to me. And, and if we go to him, the pearl of great price, the most valuable treasure in the cave of wonders, you get everything else. So, but there's one treasure that competes most dearly. And there's a reason why I think it competes most with Christ. And that is the, this last subject, love. I know we've touched on it before, and I I want to touch on it again today, and I want to explore it in this prayer in three different ways in which it's presented to us, because it's an ancient love, it's a, it's, it, it, and it's a sending love, and it's a, it's a knowing love. We're going, to, we're going to unpack that in the text that Christ kind of opens it up. But love is the one thing that it's hardest not to pick up in the cave. In other words, it's the one thing that it's the one thing that we're, remember in the story in the movie Aladdin, uh, there's one jewel, there's one jewel right before the, the, um, the, after the lamp, there's one jewel that's bigger than all the other ones and more beautiful. And uh, Abu, his little monkey, is looking at him, wants to grab it. And he does, and the whole cave comes crashing down. But, but if I was going to say there's one rival in this whole text that he's been talking about, one thing that we might want from his words besides him and that's love. Even though in the craziest way, and we are a love-mad, love-crazy culture, and even though, even though we have this crazy uh, exaltation of love and deconstruction of all the, it, it is one of the most popular, powerful concepts in our entire culture. And, and honestly, I was thinking about it, I was kind of mulling over it this week, and, 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 and as important, as vital, and as transcendent a value it is for American culture, uh, it doesn't seem like we have the foggiest idea what it is. <laughs> we kind of have, we kind of intuit our way through it, right? We kind of try to figure it out, or, or try to, try to uh, feel our way through it, or something like that. Uh, but honestly, uh, it's, it's um, yeah, it's the one thing we're the most crazy about. Uh, well, you can explore it in pop music. It's the best way to do it. You can do it. Well, look at the Hallmark channels and different things like that. But, but I think pop music more than anything. Uh, the, the Beatles. All you need is love, right? These kind of transcendent claims fill our music. They fill it everywhere, and it's and it's wildly popular. Addicted to love. We can just multiply these these songs. But then, even in our pop music over the last 
40, 50, 40 years I've been listening to it. Uh, it deconstructs the idea too. I remember an old song, Love Stinks, you know, or uh, Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It? Um, and, uh, and, or, or that, uh, that classic, What is Love? Yeah, and so you can see even, and so interestingly enough, pop music is one of the places where our culture kind of works out, it's, it's love for love, but also works out its dissatisfaction with love, its inability to love. Music deconstructs love as well as exalting it. And it wants something transcendent beyond all human possibility and power. But at the same time, it doesn't know what it is. And it's confused and tripping over itself. All of this is to say is, I don't know if I'm going to get where I want to go today. I, I, I want us to go to the scripture right now, right? And, and I want it to fill us and define for us love and, and fill us with new concepts of love. But I don't know if I'll get as far as I hope. Let's, 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 let's pray just, just minutely. Let's pray right now. Father, Father of love, <laughs> Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us Jesus and your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. We, we need tools to do this. So, so having prayed that and realizing the, 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 the huge, huge obstacles in front of us, even personally in front of us, because a lot of us have drank deep of the love intoxication of this, of this world and this generation. But I want to kind of, I want to explore this. So let's, let's turn to the text now. Let's see what we can get from it. And let's, uh, and let's see what, what, what it has to say, say to us. Um, let me pull this up. I know this is not how I wanted it to be, but that's all right. We're here in the text, and let me put it on the full screen here. Now, this is our text before us, and we just read it, and we're looking at the, uh, we're looking at love. Now, I don't know how that, hmm, this asks the same way as it does on my other computer. Huh. Is it transcribing at the bottom too? Oh, never mind. <laughs> I'm trying to get this to work. All right. I'll end that show and I'll just move this over here like this. All right. So let's, uh, th there's nothing shared right now, right, hon? All right. Apologize for the technical difficulties here. And here we go. All right, so here we are in John 17, uh, verses 20 through 26. And as I was saying, uh, we're looking at the word love in particular. And what I want to do is unplug it. Here you notice it's, uh, it's, it occurs five times in the text here. Now, this word love, you may be familiar with. It's the Greek word agape. And uh, the, the writers of the New Testament reached into the Greek language and pulled out a word which would resemble some of the ethereal transcendent qualities of God's love as described in the Scripture and is described in the Hebrew word, hesed. And so there's attempts that agape does that. And it tries to describe, uh, and it's attempting to put a name, a label, on a love greater than space and time. But even as I was talking about the clumsiness of, of, of our culture with love, what really hit me is the fundamental idea that God loves. I guess I never thought of it before. God loves. All right, I want to ask you, would you think a God would love? I Me mean, honestly, if there was a God, just take all the, just just take everything you know and put it to the side for a second. You imagine there's a God, would you immediately think, ah, oh, that God, that God loves? 
would that be the energy or that he was putting forward in the world to be that would you immediately think it was and just the idea that a god loves whatever love is it just it, whatever we intuit it to be it's just kind of disarming god loves god goes outside of himself that is and it gets better god love this is the fundamental ultimate fact of everything that we believe it's the one that moves space and time and creation and our salvation is what takes christ and motivates him to a cross knowing how how scary and awful it's going to be love this statement in john 3 16 this totemized statement you'll see 3 16 and little memes around our country you'll see it on billboards out in the country and it's because this ultimate fact god loves he doesn't just love he so loves you hear you see a love that's alive what sort of god is this well, he doesn't only love, he's not only the subject, he's actually love itself. Anyone does not love does not, love, does not know God because God is love. Not only does God love, not only is that a weird idea if we just kind of put it on a face value, not only does he do things in love, not only is he the God who acts love, he's the God who defines it. He, and now, and you know, when I was reading, just looking at these two ideas, this God is a God, a God of love and a God who is love. Well, it kind of makes sense of how we are constantly, as a culture, reaching for the transcendence of love, doesn't it? I mean, it makes sense to me it, it, because we're reaching for that God, who God is. And, and now some of, the, some of the mystery, I think, starts to open up a little bit. And it starts to poke at us. Let's take the first, uh, the first thing I want us to see about this love, our first, our first hope in it. Is, is just is how eternal it is. Let's take a look at this first section here, verse 24. Father, I also desire for those you gave me to be with me where I am. Notice he uses the, the eternal name there, the ancient name, the Yahweh name of the Old Testament, to be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you gave me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, I hovered over this in my heart. I was chewing, chewing, chewing at this. So I wanted to understand it more deeply. And I wanted to understand especially the word because here. What was the causative nature of this? Because he's saying that his eternal love, an ancient love, is the cause. It's the cause of his desire. It, it, it's what gives the desire uh, uh, feet, if you will. Well, I, I preached on this recently, and I actually preached on this particular verse from my mom's funeral. And because I take it, I took it initially as a promise to be where Christ is in eternity. Look at it says, I desire for those you gave me to be with me where I am. And, and, and to me, that, that is certainly a truth that is here. But as I was chewing on it, I don't think that's what this is about. I don't think this is about heaven. Christ is on the eve of the cross. He's about to suffer an extraordinary physical, spiritual, and emotional onslaught. He is going to suffer uh, horrible, like horrible, horribly horrible. And, they, he's, and they're about to watch it, these men he's with, his friends. They're about to watch all this happen as witnesses to it. Now, when he says here, I, 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 I desire for those you gave me to be with me, let's say I actually... Uh, with me, look at the blue there, uh, to see my glory, which you gave me. Now, this is interesting. Uh, Christ's glory isn't given, not eternally. 
And uh, he, he, he wants us to be with him where he is, where I am as God, to see his glory. And that's when it came like a, a thunder, thunderstruck. This prayer right here, this prayer right here, is not only a desire for some eternal by and by, no, no, more and more poignantly and more pressingly and more immediately, it is actually about him going to the cross the next day. What's he saying? I desire for those you gave me to be with me where I am. Well, one of the most transformative concepts of, the, of Christianity is when Christ hangs on the cross, you were united with him. You were with him. And he wants you to be able to see this. And he says, because this is a glory given to him. Christ's glory, let's say uh, when God has a glory, when God has anything, he has it forever, right? It, it just, it comes, it emanates from him eternally. But Christ only got the glory of the triumph of the cross after he had accomplished it, right? That's when he did it. And so that, that, in a sense, added to his glory in space and in time. That's exactly what he is praying for right here. He is praying that they would have the ability to be with him on that cross so that his death would be efficacious and powerful for them, and they would be able to see it as his place of glory, the glory given to him by his Father. And now it makes sense, because that makes the cause before the foundation of the world, the cause of a love enacted in the darkness of Calvary for your sake and mine. I never saw this before. What is this actually describing? You know, what, what, what Christ is actually praying for is you, would, you and I would understand Romans 6, 6 through 8. We know that our old self was crucified with him. You see, you see the language there? In order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing, so that we'd no be, would, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, you see the language there? Yes, the same with him. You see, Christ is praying that Romans 6 would become realized in the hearts and the minds of his people, and in you and me today. And right out the door, what is Christ's love? It's an ancient love. It was an ancient love, an ancient love to unite us to his death, to set us free from sin. In other words, to take that death and so that everything would, all the death might be dead in you and me. Wow. You see, Christ sees this, and he sees that his journey through the dark night of the soul and death that is going to happen the next day is nothing less than the foundations of the world, 14 billion years of planning love and care and concern and, and the, the work of his, his sovereign work over every atom and every event, all the way to the moment that's hanging on a cross. And he wants us to see his glory right there and how we are with him. And as God dying, and as a man dying, as the God-man dying, he becomes a savior for sinners. Now, this is invitational. Hear us again and again. Love always invites. It always welcomes and gathers in. It's always, in, oh, and don't you hear it? It's a love for sinners that would be united. Love always wants to be united with the person, the thing that it loves. And here it is. It's an ancient, animated love that goes right to a cross. Why is it so important we understand this, this first point? Why does he want us to see it, and why does he pray for it? Because this is where things get hardest to see. Sorry, let me move forward again. First of all, this is hard to see because it's a riddle. 
and only the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. Second reason it's hard to see is he's, he, he's wanting to train us that he's wanting us to see that in the dark days of our lives, in the darkest hours in COVID, in all the places uh, of futility and fear and suffering with which you and I are being confronted now, he is asking we have eyes to see, eyes to be seen, to be with him in our suffering. I, that's, to me, that's exactly what this, we must be praying for. He is praying right there and then that they will be able to see past, to have the perspective. And, and I want to be invited, I want to invite you right into this right now. We're being invited into a perspective when we need a perspective, and we need, we need this prayer, we need to be praying these prayers for ourselves as he prays it for us, that we have his, his eyes to see his glory when it doesn't look glorious anymore. To see his glory amongst the dreariness, the loneliness, the fret, the fear. To see it amongst, to see it in the darkness. Oh, it's there. And it's there for you and for me. God's love is alive with an ancient intention and power to erupt into space and time and to turn the tables on everything. Love. It's an ancient, ancient love. Praise him. So, um, first of all, I want us to get a perspective from this love of its ancientness, and then a perspective that leads us to see the glory and joy and power of Calvary, and sees our, our place with him. If you believe in him today, you are with him at Calvary, and you died in your sins, and you're dead, and you were raised to him with new life, and that's it. If you don't know Jesus right now, if you don't know him, I invite you to know him. Why? Because it's all personal. And let's take a look at the next, the next, the next, the next, the next, the next part of this. So the first point, you notice how transcendent that love is, how transcendent above space and time as it intends to go into the darkness of sin and ruin and bring salvation. We'll take a look at this. Let's take a look at this second idea of love. I made known to them your name, he said, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. What's this next part? Some kind of wonderful happens here. And the way Christ turns this and the way, the way it kind of shifts here. Um, Christ, if you look here in the first part of this clause, I made known to them your name. He's talking about his entire ministry to these men. And I will continue to make it known. What does that mean? Well, we know he's already talked about in these last three or four chapters how he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit was going to do was deliver him, Jesus, and his words to us. And so this continuing to make it known, he's promising an ever-present witness of his very love with us in himself by the Spirit. And that love which you may love me may be in us. It's, it's going to be alive because of his presence. Now get this. Get this. The first thing he does is he puts a cause for his, for, 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 uh, the cause of his, of his prayer is a love beyond the foundations of the world. I mean, buried in space and time. But what do we have here? It's a love active immediately in your day in and day out, in the seconds, times, minutes, and hours, in your Bible studies, in your personal studies, where Christ desires to be one with us. And this is totally and utterly personal. And so what love had he made known? And this is where we're going to go with this and, and we're going to and, and end with it. Because we really, because there's so much here. It's funny, once you pop open this subject of love in the Bible, you pretty much open the whole Bible. Yeah, that's how much happens here. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's vast. So what we're going to do is we're going to, what I'm going to do is we're going to reach into some of Christ's teaching 
and then send us out from here and from this moment. Well, let's take a look at Christ's teaching for us, and, and uh, maybe he can help penetrate. Holy Spirit, maybe you'll help us in this moment to penetrate some of the confusion and deconstruction uh, and in our love-mad culture. Now, um, what, how did Christ teach on love? How did he make it known? <laughs> well, he began with, he began with, well, he was making it known all the time. It was always in, in situ, in, in media, in the midst of things, in the midst of conversations. Why, well, Christ's words are always words to a woman or to a man or to a prostitute or to a, a religious leader. Right? They're always, they're in, the, and that's what makes him so much life for us. Christ at one point was going to be challenged. They were coming after him. They were testing him with words. And an old scribe was sitting there. And it's exactly how the story is. The scribe was listening and, and heard Christ answer so wisely, he asked his own question. And it's pretty obvious the question was sincere. What is the greatest commandment? Seeing the right, this old scribe in the midst of this attack on Jesus in this crowded place says, Rabbi, what's the greatest commandment? He actually asks a sincere and earnest question in Christ's response. The most important is this. He goes right to Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, and he, of course, he, he, goes, he goes beyond the question, right, to Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Christ said he made it known. That's what we looked at in John 17. He made known what love is, right? And the lo love is everything described in the laws and rules and commands and statutes and ordinances of our Bibles. You know, we, we could, and, 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 and rules equal love. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, look, at, look at how this, look at how the, the ideas of the world, uh, there's, a, there's some love communes. Uh, you can look up uh, documentaries about them and stuff like that. And the first thing you want to do is they want to get rid of all rules. It's kind of comical. There's no rules here in our little commune out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, but then the first thing that they, these places always do is they start making rules. You have to. You have to. You have to. If you're going to live together in a community. If you're going to be a people of love. See, the world just thinks of rules as, as, as obstacles to love. Where we understand that rules and the commands are invitations. It's completely flipped, you see. It flips the way the world looks at it. The world cannot understand this. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about somebody listening to this message who's not a Christian, doesn't share my belief system. And I, I feel sorry for you. I don't know what you would do. Because I don't know how rules can be love for you. I don't know how you wouldn't feel like they're love. I know they're love because they come from love himself. And I know that they teach me what love is. But, but again, this is kind of clears it up. This is an interesting, a fascinating kind of a difference between what God thinks of love and what we think of it. But then it goes on because Christ in other places tries to sum up the wall too. And look at Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the law and the prophets. What does the world tell us? The world tells us the first question love asks is this, what do I desire? And then goes out to try to find and satisfy that desire. That's the world's definition of love. It's what you want most. It's what you desire most. That is not love in scripture. 
That's not how scripture defines love. What does it define it here? How does it define it? Love asks the question, what does the person I love desire? Not what I desire. I, you know, when we come to this fundamental concept of love, I don't even know how the world in its love-mad sickness can even begin. Because <laughs> it knows these truths, but doesn't really know what they mean. But look at this beauty. Look at the beauty of this. The love, true love asks, what does the person I love desire? Not what do I desire? If that doesn't turn the entire generation on its head, an entire time, an entire world on its head, when it comes to love, I don't know what does. So we say that love uh, rules are an invitation to love. We say that love asks the question, what does the other person desire, not what do I desire? What else does it, what, what does love do? Now, uh, love in the world is all about how do you got to protect yourself? You got to protect yourself when you love, lest you, you be destroyed somehow. You know, and, and we often talk about boundaries and that. That's the world doesn't understand love. But it does know that the greatest love of all is to sacrifice yourself. And nothing to do with sex, nothing to do with what you want. That's love. And we know these things, we know them at our core. And right here it's telling us where the world is telling you to protect yourself. God is inviting us to start at 100%. How can I give my life, everything that I am, to have the kind of love that God loves with and to love other people with it. What else do we learn? Now, somebody, somebody, I remember reading this years ago when I first heard this. I remember thinking this wasn't fair because it was like, because I remember some my mom or something, somebody telling me, oh, don't you know if you break one command, you break them all. And I remember thinking, well, that's terrible. I, I'm, I messed, I'm lost then. And it really kind of sobering we tend to minimize our sins. We think lies are not as bad as murder and stuff like that. But, but for God, if you, if you look at James 2, the only thing that makes sense of this total vision of the law, this total vision of you break one part, you break it all, is if it all means love. You see, if you violate one part of love, you violate all of the love you have for that person. And this is one of the, one of the things we, 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 we uh, flounder on in marriage because we know we experience a lack of love of our spouse all the time, and we experience our own lack of love to others because we realize how how <coughs> how much we failed. How every 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 failure is a complete break, and it's just so hurtful. But it only makes sense if love makes sense, right? How is this different than the world? The world tells you that love you can pick and choose what commands you like and what sexual commands you feel appropriate or what commands of of, of uh, uh, how you work or who you're with or what you do with your time or what you look at. And we pick and choose and we, have, we tend to have in our moral compass a supermarket version of morality where we pick and choose what we like and what we won't like and what we will do and won't do. Can't do that, that's not love. And then finally, finally, uh, what do we learn about love? Well, not, love, love uh, it, it rules invite us into love but they don't, they, don't, they don't satisfy it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And look at the last expression of that verse. Against such things there is no law. In other words, even if we took all the rules of the Bible, and there are so many of them, took every command and everything like that, all they would be is a starting point. That's all they'd be is a beginning point. Because, there, because love has no limit. It's limitless. It's, it's, it's everything. It's 100%. It's the whole command of love. It's all of those rules, all having meaning in, the, in what the, the, other, the other desires and needs. 
Wow. And not only is this a roadmap for what our true love that Christ was making known and is continuing to make known, how is he continuing to make it known, by the way? How is Christ continuing to make his love known? Right through this, through me, through me talking to you, through these words, through this Zoom, through, the, through, the, through these words on the screen. Yeah, this is active right now. Christ is here teaching you and your, our hearts what love is. Why? First of all, so we can know what his love looks like. Don't you know this is describing the way he loves you? He loves you totally. He loves you completely. He is 100%. His love is limitless. His, he is not breaking even the smallest part of his obligation to you in every part to love you and completely. Oh, it's amazing. This is beautiful. This is the love that's at the cross. This is the love that the Holy Spirit creates. And this is what it looks like for us to be an answer to Christ's prayer. You see, but I'm not done. I mean, I'm done because we're running out of time or we don't have enough time to be in the word as long as we want to, but I'm not still not done here. Because look, 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 at, look at this expression. He says that I may be in them and, and they in me. This is nothing but personal knowledge of Jesus he's offering. Jesus wants to know us personally. Personal relationship is what we've been invited into. A personal knowing of him and his complete surrender to us. Praise him. Do you personally know Jesus? Do you personally know this love? Is this love alive in you? Well, there's one final way we'll know. We'll know if you feel sent. And this sending here, it's here, the sent is in verse 21. It's ver repeated almost, almost exactly in verse 23, but it goes from believe to the word know. The cosmos may believe you sent me, so the cosmos will know you sent me and love them even as you loved me. What what's being described here and what's alive to us? God's love always goes out. It always it, it's not satisfied to wait somebody wait for us to come to Him. Instead, He seeks us out. And and this pattern of this love then begins to pound away in our heart. We become this. You see, you see, if you can tolerate not being sent, if you, if you can tolerate not wanting, it, it, then, then, then you don't know this love yet. This isn't, this isn't love in you. If this love isn't erupting, it's just it's all, it's, it's an overflow. And that's what the sending all that only can mean, is that Christ is aware in his own intentions. You see, God has made it clear he has been on plan, on task, and on target with love for 14 billion years. And he, 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 is not, he is not missed, not by a second, not by a, not by a, not by a, 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 a millimeter. He, is, he, is, he has been on target. And that love, which ferociously came out of eternity to come to a cross, that love keeps going. And it's going right into this room, right, into, right, right across to my wife over there, right, out of the, right into us. And it goes through us and then sends us out. You see, we can't sit still. If you, we can't sit, we've got to be moved. We've got to be going out to find a people to give ourselves totally to, give ourselves totally to one another. And it becomes a love fest that does what? It tells the world how real God is. I, I, uh, I have so many notes here. But I want to join God in his intentions and his purposes. To have a kind of love that, that Christ is describing and making known to us that looks like him. 
to, to have a love that for me to, for, for us to grow in love. You see, I was funny. I was thinking about this. I was talking about our culture and saying, oh, I, you know, I was writing my notes, you know, is it even possible to preach about love and how successful will it be? And the reason I do it anyway is because I believe in the spirit. I believe in the power of the word and um, that it's greater than me. Right. Because I find, but you know, I find in the end with I was going through these, as I'm thinking through all this stuff. Um, not only is our culture kind of love mad and love sick and doesn't understand, but that's me. You know, I, one of the things I I realize is that. There is a monstrous unlovingness in me. And a selfishness, a self, I, I, you know, and I, and, and I know that I realize I need a God greater than my personality, you know. Uh, the, the, one of the great things about the fruit of the Spirit being love is that it's greater than personality, than the personality of a church or the personality of a culture like American culture or the personality of a person like me or you. It's greater than personality, isn't it? Because it's greater than space and time. It's as big as God gets. That's how big love is. Love is as big as God. And I realize that I'm the one who I, I'm the I'm the one who needs to learn all this again. I I, I see myself uh, all over again now, discovering that I, I you know I. Does my wife know what it is to be loved by me? I, I, I hope so. Like this, like this, this kind of love. It makes you think about our church and our, how we love each other and how we, and how um, much distance we keep from each other or how little we tell each other about what's really going on. It's just all this stuff starts pouring out of this for me. And I, and I realize that, that what I really need is God in his love to answer his son's prayers for us, you see. Because, yeah, I really what it comes down to. You know, my hope for our church, or our hope for Christianity, is the answered prayers of the Son to his Father by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit here in this moment, making you and I come alive and filling us and making us a people of love who have not been sent. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm here to do and what I'm hoping to do and why I'm hoping to preach about it is because I want to I grab the coattails of the answers of Jesus' prayers, you see. To his father. And I and I want to know where that where those answers are happening now. And I want them to happen in me and you. And I want to I want a love to grow. An agape, a love older than time itself. A love shining at Calvary. I want to see it. And then I want to become it. And uh, and be and be sent into this world. Let's pray for that together with Jesus. Let's pray. And dearest Father, oh, dearest Father, I just see so little of love in myself. I see so little of tenderness and kindness and peace and, and all these fruits, just this, this wonderful fruit that, that you bring, Holy Spirit. Would you bring that? Would you bring that to First Press? Would you bring it to me and to us? And would you let it flood our marriages and our lives? 
And we, we, we confess we have lived in a love mad, a love crazed culture that doesn't even, can't even define what love is other than satisfying our own desires. What a, what a, what a, what a, what a frightful shame that is. That's all we can come up with, Father. Oh, Lord, I, I, Father, I, I come to you at the throne. I, 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 as we come to you at the throne, I, I imagine, you know, I don't even have to imagine. I know your son stands there. And are his words the same? Are his, are, his, are his pleas the same for us? Are these the same things he's praying now, Father? Because we, we would ask that they would come true, that, these, that this miracle of spiritual love and life would erupt and conquer us. That, the, that a love greater and ancient, more ancient than the universe would come and invade our hearts and send us and prove your love in the world and show Jesus to everyone. Father, we ask for that kind of love. Knock, knock us down, knock us out, knock us flat, Father, with your love. Lock this whole generation flat with your love. And as you reveal it through us, let us become a place of love that reflects you let us know your love and know our confidence in the dark that you, that you have loved us with an eternal love. Father, we, we need your help so badly with this. We need your help to walk through our confusion, to uh, help us deal with our emotions, to uh, help us define what sa our sacrifices need to be. The scary is a scary, Father. I feel like we're going to get butchered out there if, uh, if we try to be a people of love in this world. But but that's the way they treated you. Of course, they're going to treat us that way. Give us new bold power to love. New bold power, Father. New bold power to love each other, to love you, and to love this generation. Father, come and reveal yourself. Reveal the power and the name and the beauty of your Son. Reveal the unity you had with him from before the creation of the world. Reveal that love, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hmm. All right, let's proclaim uh, the mystery of our faith. Well, you know, I, I, I was thinking about that the other day. Um, I want to rephrase that a little bit. Let us proclaim together the historical facts of our faith. <laughs> Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise Him. Praise Him. As we gather each week, we are not at this time celebrating communion. And we haven't been celebrating communion uh, for, for reasons of conviction, uh, because of a conviction about flesh on flesh ministry. Christ's ministry was in the flesh. But uh, as, this, as this time goes on, um, and as God, or as our Father ordains this time of worship over Zoom, we want to be sure. And so I'm praying about this and praying about, and leaders are praying about whether we will start doing that. All right, uh, we're going to do the, uh, let's, no, uh, so let's answer this question now, though. We will not celebrate communion. We will end with a song. Then we're going to pray over Johnny and Rochelle. And then we're going to go into a town hall meeting. All right, uh, tell me, Christians, brothers and sisters, First Presbyterian Church guests, what do you believe? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyterian.sf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.